I don't want to waste too much time, but last week, how many of you were here last week, last week, last week, last week? Wow, a lot of you were here last week. All right, good. That's a good thing. Um, now, last week, um, does anyone remember the timeline? How, how many of you remember the timeline that we went through? Any, anyone remember it? Any, anyone remember it that said, I, I know it? Anyone know it that they think, like, I know the timeline? I, I kind of know what's to come? Anyone? No brave soldier. Ah. All right. Well, I won't call on anyone then. Um, last week, we, we spoke on, on, uh, on a timeline, and we discussed rapture some. We discussed uh, um, the tribulation some. We discussed millennial um, kingdom. We discussed judgment seat of Christ. We discussed the, um, the great white throne. We discussed some about the Antichrist. We discussed um, um, how there's going to be a battle of Armageddon, how there was going to be Gog and Magog. Um, and, and last week, what we did was we went into some sort of introduction. It took about an hour to go through it. And um, today, what I want to do is I, I really want to talk about what is, a, what is the rapture um, and really just spend some time in, in, in that word rapture. And it's an interesting word as we get into it because you're not going to find it anywhere in your word. So good luck finding it. But you'll, you'll catch some Greek words and, and what they mean as we go on today. Um, let me share with you what happened to me yesterday. Yesterday I was running some errands, and in the midst of me running some errands, I turned, I, I'm weird like this, I like to listen to, anyone else like to listen to NPR? Three, I saw one head nod, and two, one hand almost go up, and one hand go up, thank you. Um, NPR um, is just a news radio station on the radio, and I just listen to world news. It's kind of like your um, um, car, BBC, for your car. Um, and in NPR, they were interviewing um, an, an Israeli, and he was speaking of, uh, of what was going on in Israel between the, um, Hamas and, um, and Israel. As we get into what happened in NPR, last Wednesday when we were here, if you guys remember, we discussed a little bit of what was going on with Hamas and, we, and with Israel. And then the next day, when we put on our news in the morning, um, the Malaysian... Uh, flight that got shot down, it was interrupted by breaking news. This just in from Israel. Israel is finally taking force into the Gaza Strip by air, land, and sea. And, and, and a guy, I have it on my phone, he says, it seems like the world is teetering. Powerful. And that happened on the Thursday, right the day after we met on Wednesday. And I was just jumping and going crazy in my house. Um, because I said, wow, um, we are in, we've been in the end times, but man, we're, we're really close to the end of the end times. So if you're part of God's people, there's probably something inside of you right then and there that wanted to say amen. Amen. So back to the NPR story. So I'm listening to this radio, and, um, and this guy's being interviewed and, about what's going on. And the guy says, well, what's going to happen? You know, and he says this. He says, three things I believe need to happen for this to get better. He says three things need to happen between Israel and the Palestinians, Israel and Hamas. And look at the three things he says. You guys ready? He says, number one, there needs to be urgency. Urgency on the side of Israel, urgency on the side of the Palestinians, on the side of Hamas. And they, 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 they can't sleep on this. There needs to be urgency between them where they could both come together. And he begins to define what he meant by urgency. But then he goes, and then number two, what is needed is a mediator. 
And then he went into what he needs by a mediator. We need someone, someone with the right power, with the right influence that could bring these two distinct groups together. And I'm just in my car now going, whoa. And then he goes, and number three, watch this one. They need a deal. So I started to think as I was driving, I said, awesome. There's urgency in a mediator to form a deal. And those are the three things that this Israeli said um, in regards to them and Hamas. And I said, wow, that sounds like what scripture describes as the Antichrist to me. It's going to be one who urgently is going to step into the gap, be the mediator between these enemies and Israel, and bring this peace treaty, this deal that eventually will build the new temple for Israel. I mean, I was just in shock. So all these things are just like puzzles happening for every week as we meet. It's so cool, man. Yesterday, I had a friend over my house that just came to drop off something. Oh, they, they got there like at 9. They didn't leave till 11.30 for two and a half hours. We were talking about the end times. It's all over. It's all over in conversations. I picked up my wife from work yesterday as well during the day. And she said, something weird happened today. We started talking about world events and the two ladies that I began, that I work with, we just started to talk about the Lord's return. And I just started to do my best I could in Spanish to talk to them about God's coming. And I said, oh, man, that's good. How many of you could smell that God is doing something? As we get into the rapture today, and we'll try to do as much as we can today. I don't want to be here too long. The rapture is, can be looked at differently from different people. Um, I've always seemed to teach it from a pre-trib doctrine, which is the rapture happens first, then the tribulation. You could teach it from a mid-trib where the rapture happens, then you get rapture, um, the tribulation happens, and then you get raptured up in, the fir- in, in three and a half years. Or post-trib, which is the whole tribulation happens and the church, the, the bride gets raptured up on the last part. I know many men, many biblical men, many pastors, many scholars that will stand up here, grab this mic, grab any platform they can, and they will post their heart out that there is all biblical evidence that there's a post-trip. You will get the godliest of godliest men, and they will come up here and take whatever platform they can, and they will say all evidence shows that there is a pre-trib rapture. And the same thing, you will have someone come up here and say there is a mid-trib rapture. Okay? The truth is, Scripture leaves us with this sense of, well, then which one is it, God? Which one really is it? Because I could stand up here for weeks and teach you what the pre-trib doctrine is, what the mid-trib doctrine is, and what the post-trib doctrine is. And I'm thinking that everyone here is hoping, obviously, for a pre-trib. Yeah, take me up and then let the rapture come. Obviously, amen to that. But this is what I don't want out of this teaching. Because let's say I do teach you pre-trib. And I say the rapture is going to happen. And then that's going to mark the seven-year tribulation and then everything else that we will eventually discuss. But what happens if the Lord does not come pre-trib? What happens if he comes post-trib? You know what I'm scared of? What I'm scared of is that the bride, the church, will now stay here and many of them will lose faith. Because they were taught for so long that there was a pre-trib. It did not happen. And now it's not going to happen until years later and I'm going to go through all this hard stuff. And then they lose faith on God. Well, God, you failed us. And that's the last thing that I want anyone, myself or you, to go through, whether it's post, mid, or pre. So what what are you trying to say? What I'm trying to say is this. 
The Bible teaches us that the Lord is coming for his church, yes? Wherever you stand, whether it's pre, mid, or post, I'll shake your hand, we'll go out to eat dinner, and I'll still call you my godly family. I promise you I will, because there's no reason to debate about that. I believe the Lord's coming back. But I'm not going to debate with you whether he's coming back before the tribulation, in the middle of the tribulation, or at the end of the tribulation. But I am going to tell the church that I pastor this, whether he comes before, in the middle, or after, you just need to start living your life becoming and getting prepared for the Lord will come back. Amen. And that's, that's the meat of the rapture. It's not about when is he going to come? Is it going to be in the beginning? Is it going to be in the middle? Is it going to be in the end? Forget all that stuff. The most important thing is, is that you're going to learn today that you be watchful and that you be ready for the coming of the Lord. And that's it. And that's what I want to make sure you grab today. I don't want you to stand here, well, this is not the church for me because it's a pre-trip church, or this is not the church for me because it's a post-trip church, or this is not a church for me because it's a mid-trip church. Listen, who cares about that? Just make sure that you're ready when it comes, whenever it does come. Let's get into this. What is a, uh, I'm not going to get into the study of it. Pre-trip basically means the church, pre-tribulation rapture, the church will be raptured before the tribulation begins. To be with Christ in heaven, to return with him at the end of the tribulation, and that is called the second coming. When he comes, touches land, destroys his enemies. The mid-tribulation, the church will go through the first half, which is three and a half years of the tribulation. and They'll be raptured up and taken into heaven at midpoint, and they meet with God in the skies, with Jesus. And then the third one is the post-tribulation rapture, which is the church will go through the entire tribulation, and they will be raptured with Jesus' return. Um, to the earth in the second coming okay so there's pre there's mid and then there's post but i want to go over some things about the rapture what happens in the rapture what is this rapture stuff all about in first corinthians chapter 15 if you're taking notes paul talks a lot about the lord's coming many other many other apostles talk about the lord's coming jesus talks about his coming and paul is writing to the church of corinth in first corinthians 15 and I'm going to read verses 51 through 54. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 54. I'm going to give you a few points today, but look at this. Look what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 54. He says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. For in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound. This is the trumpet of the church age where the church will be taken. That the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Listen to what he's saying. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and the mortal must put on immortality. 54. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality... Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Amen. But I want you to notice what Paul says in the beginning of 1 Corinthians 15, 51, the first part of what I read. What does he say about the rapture? He says, behold, I tell you what? I love how he says, behold, I tell you a mystery. Here we are, and we're trying to preach this mystery. And Paul calls it a mystery. Well, what's a mystery, Paul? Paul says, well, we're going to all be changed. We're going to all be changed. Well, what do you mean by we're going to all be changed? Well, look at the text. In the text, he says, well, it's in a moment. It's actually in a twinkling of an eye, meaning that it's going to be rapid in how it happens. 
It's not a slow process, but it's, it's going to be something where it's a, it's a rapid change, and he describes it as a twinkling of an eye. And then he begins to describe it that the dead will be raised incorruptible and they shall be changed. And this corruptible must put on incorruption. The mortal must put on immortality. And when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then we would be able to fulfill that scripture. Death is swallowed up in victory. So Paul begins to talk about this twinkling of an eye, this change, this occurrence that's going to happen in the believer's life. But he goes on, he introduces it as, I tell you a mystery. It's pretty cool because... From the time of Paul, it was a new truth. It, it was something that was not necessarily known or understood. And here's Paul during his time, and he's teaching the church something that they've never really heard of for the first time ever. And that's why he says, I tell you a mystery. So try to understand what I want to teach you. And Paul begins to describe this rapture. Obviously, the first point is we see the rapture, how it's called a mystery here in the scripture. I'm going to read another passage, and it's 1 Thessalonians. Paul is writing to the Thessalonica church in chapter 4, verse 16, 17, and 18. Look what he says. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, 17, and 18. If you want to shoot an amen, that'll be good when you get there. So you're there. It's on the screen if not. It says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. I love this, with a shout. One translation says with a loud command. I don't, I don't know. Like, church, come up. I don't know what it's going to be. Bride. But it's with a shout. And then it says this. With the voice of an archangel. We know of one name of an archangel, don't we? The prince of Israel, what's his name? Michael. I don't know if it'll be him, probably, because he's going to come and do everything he has to do in Israel. So watch. A shout from the, from the Lord from heaven, the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, if we are alive during this time, and remain shall be, there's this word right there. There's this phrase. We shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Pretty awesome. And what Paul is telling this church here, he gives them these three different events. There's going to be a shout. There's going to be a voice of this angel, powerful angel. And there's going to be a trumpet of God. I'm guessing it's going to be boom. I'm guessing. I'm guessing you're going to hear a shout. I'm guessing you're going to hear a, a call from the archangel, and then you're going to hear this trumpet of God. I, I mean, I, I can't even, I can't preach to you what that means. I, I'm just reading it to you. But I'm sure that's going to be something for the calling up of his people. Now, there's a lot of different doctrine. There's a lot of different teachings about the dead in Christ shall, be, shall rise first, especially if you're post-trib and mid-trib and, you debate against pre-trib. And a lot of people believe where that body, which is either in what's called Abraham's bosom, 
which is not in the eternal kingdom yet, will come to its site of death or, or a burial with bones or wherever ashes were thrown nowadays and then be resurrected up with Christ. And then there the bride meets everyone that's already dead. And with Christ, they all meet in the air. There, there's so many different uh, translations and teachings off this verse. And that's all okay. But I don't want you to miss out what's very important here. And it's this. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, a voice of an archangel, and with a trumpet. And we who are alive, or whether you're Christ, you'll be raised first. You will be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord. And that's the most important thing. That there is going to be a time where something is going to happen and where all of God's people, and we're going to get into who are these people, all of God's church will meet with him in the heavens and be with him. Look what it says. And they shall always be with the Lord. What does that mean? You never are separated from God again. It's powerful. Because you would think, right, that the Lord would want to be with his bride forever. Don't you ever leave. You don't ever have to work again. You don't ever have to leave the house again. You are with me now forever. And that's what he tells the church. So as we read these two verses, we... We see this mystery behind it. Okay, so, so we know that there's a catching up. And we're going to describe this word caught up, this phrase. And then we read in 1 Thessalonians that these people are met up with Christ in the air. And that's the second point, 1 Thessalonians 4. Number one, the rapture is a mystery. And number two, the saints are caught up alive to meet Christ in the air. Now that's pretty amazing. Because I've never met someone that I've been talking to in the flesh, and as I'm talking to them, they just disappear right in front of me, or they become glorified and meet up Christ in the air. And they come back and say, did you see what God just did with me? I never experienced that with anyone. And I'm sure you never have either. But in Scripture, it does teach us that there are two examples of this mystery of being caught up, and we see it in the Old Testament. Does anyone know where we see them at? One of them is Elijah. And the other one is, Enoch's a good one. You see, Enoch and Elijah, they were both taken directly to heaven. They did not experience death, as scripture shows us. One walked and walked no more. One was taken in a chariot of fire and seen no more. And their bodies were taken up, and they were caught up with the Lord, and they went to this eternity, Abraham's bosom, where they rest at today. That is why a lot of people believe that the two witnesses which we will get into in the tribulation will be Elijah and Enoch. But we see this phrase, and we're going to see this phrase continuously as we study, and it's the Greek word caught up, harpazo. And that Greek word, which we translate in the English to caught up, it literally means this. It means to seize or to snatch away. And that's what that Greek word means. When, when Paul says, in a twinkling of an eye, and, and when he begins to describe this change, and then in Thessalonians, when he says that when the voice of the Lord, when he shouts and the archangel speaks, and the trumpet is sound, when he says we are caught up together with him, he literally says in the Greek, we are snatched away. I'm going to read a verse later on about how Jesus warns you. And he says, it's kind of like someone who owns a house, and they're not prepared and a thief comes in, what does the thief come to do? Snatch away as much as they can, as fast as they can. So you're going to be able to relate 1 Thessalonians with Jesus' own words later on 
as he begins to describe this snatching away. So, so we're just introducing this stuff. The rapture's a mystery. The saints now are being caught up to meet with him in the air. These are things that are going to happen. Think about the world during this time. Think about the chaos. Think about what's going on in the Middle East and what will be going on in the Middle East. Think about the world's powers. Think about the Antichrist and his reign. Think about the news coverage and the things that they're going to make up and say. Just try to understand how the days are going to be like. It's just going to make sense that someone is going to have to rise up and say, I have a perfect solution, and the world cries out to him as the world's Messiah. That the world cries out to him and says, this is the one that is going to save us from all this calamity that is taking place. And they're going to cry out to this man that we will see will be the Antichrist. So, so what else do we see about the rapture? Uh, there's there's a, some other verses that I want to show you, and it's found in Matthew 24. If you're taking notes, write this down. Matthew 24, 36 through 39. Matthew 24, 36 through 39. Watch this. Are we there? Here's Jesus, and Jesus says, No one knows about that day or hour. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came. And the flood took them all away. And look what Jesus says next. And that is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Let's look at this. You guys remember the story of Noah. He begins to build a boat. Because he began to say one day it's going to what? One day it's going to what? And what did everyone during Noah's day say to Noah? Noah, it has never rained. You're crazy. And he begins to build a boat for a coming rain that God promised. So he begins to build a boat. He begins to build a boat. He begins to build a boat. And the people begin to what? Mock at him. Laugh at him. And he looked at them and said, trust me, the Lord spoke. He's going to rain. You're crazy. And he begins to build a boat. And one day he's finished with the boat. And God says, get in the boat. Open up the doors. I'm calling animals in. Get your family in. Anyone who's not in there will be destroyed. So Noah says, okay. Sounds like easy command. Everyone get in. Call the animals in. He shuts the door. Does anyone know about the, the boat, how it used to be? You guys know that there was no windows in the boat. Only one window. Only one window on top. God didn't want Noah, when he was in the boat, to look around. Because he only wanted him to look up. So the rain started to fall. And he looks up and he sees the rain hitting the window. He's like, I knew he wasn't lying. And he probably hears people now outside the boat. No one let me in. 
I didn't believe you. I thought you were losing your mind. You know that happened. Just the Bible doesn't say it. The water's up, up to my knees. The next day, the waters are up to my waist. The next day, the water is up to my neck. Noah, I'm floating on my house. Noah, let me in. And Noah says what? Through the door. God told me that when it starts raining, I can't open the door for anyone. Sorry. For 40 days, what does Noah do? All he could do is what? I'm going to read a verse later. Remember this story. Remember this story. Because I'm going to read a verse later that talks about the days that are to come, the wars that are to come, the stars and the moons and how they're all going to change in the days that are to come. And how that day the Lord will break through and then he says to look up to the skies because then your redemption draws near. So he tells us to look up to the sky because our redemption is coming soon. And here's Noah looking up to the sky because that's the only way he could look up to his salvation, his redemption is the one that is calling the rain to fall. And it's a reminder to him. It is a perfect parallel of what is to come in the New Testament. And what you see here is what? You see, God save a people, but then there's a people that received a wrath from God. In the story of Noah, you saw God's love, but you also saw God's what? God's wrath. He loved a certain people to bring them in, all while giving everyone else a chance. And on them, because they did not obey his word, you saw a wrath. When the Lord comes, it's going to happen so quickly, just like when the rain began to fall in the days of Noah. And when that rain falls, people are not going to be like, oh my God, oh my God, I heard about this at church one time when I visited. I went to this church called New Life one time. And, and the pastor talked about this. At that moment, when that first drop falls, it's going to be too late. The door can't be opened. When the Lord's coming happens when we meet him in the air he says no one knows about the day no one knows about the hour no one not the angels no one only the father just so you can understand how this is going to be like because the is the jewish people knew the story of noah he says it's going to be like the days of noah the, the coming of the son of man is going to be just like it for when the flood came the people were having a party and then you begin to think about it today. And what is the church doing? We're building our boat. We're building our boat. What are you guys doing? We're building a boat. Why? It's going to rain again. But what people do is they begin to mock us because for centuries and centuries we've been talking about the coming of the Lord. And we're building our boat. We're preparing ourselves. Knowing that at any moment now God's coming back. And those that mock, those that do not believe, They'll be left out of the boat. And those that are ready, those that are being prepared, it's going to be like the days of Noah. When that hour comes, when that day comes, he's going to take us. He's going to save us. He's going to protect us. And those that were not, they're going to receive what happens in the days of Noah. And how does he describe it? He describes it like this. He says, until the flood came and took them all away. It's going to be a very horrific moment for the people that, got, that, that, that get left because we studied last week that at the end of all of this, there's going to be this amazing lake. How many of you like lakes? But not this one. That the wrath is going to be in that lake forever, and it's called the lake of fire. We escape that lake. How many of you could say amen? amen. Noah escaped the waters. We will escape the lake as well. Just catch that. 
What are, you, what are you trying to say then? I'm trying to tell you this, guys. When the rapture happens, again, whether you're pre, whether you're mid, or whether you're post, it happens sudden. It's a sudden thing. And it's a secret. No one knows it. It's now, and it's a twinkling of an eye. It's now, and it's a snatch away. It is so fast, watch this, that if you haven't lived your life preparing for it, you will never have the time to prepare for it when it happens. That's what is being described here. When the floods came, it happened so fast that no one was able. Did you notice how no one else built a boat? Noah was the only one alive because Noah is the only one that built a boat. It happened so fast that they didn't have time to prepare. They didn't say, oh my gosh, it's raining. Noah was right. Let's build a boat now. It happened from one day to another that they were drowning. It will be like that. When the time comes and the Lord comes, from one day to another, and people will miss the boat, literally. Are you guys with me? So, so it's sudden and it's secret. The fourth point that I want to mention, and I'm going to spend some time here. It's the rapture, and I'm going to read text. It will be selective. Some are taken, and some are left behind. Pre, mid, or post, some are left behind. Because there will be many, many who believe and say they believe in Jesus that will be here during the seven-year tribulation and they will side with the Antichrist and his doctrine and they will give in because they can't withstand the wrath and they will give in to his teachings. They will give in to his methods and they will miss out and they will go to the lake of fire. These are people that confess Jesus. It will happen. So what am I trying to tell me? I, I, what I'm trying to tell you is that scripture doesn't show me that just because everyone believes, everyone is saved. It's more than just believing. Are you guys with me? The rapture is selective. It's, some are taken, some are left behind. Let's read some scripture. Let's read some scripture. Matthew 24, I think you're already there. You should be there. Let's read some of these verses again. We read uh, verses 36 and on, right? And then it says the floods. Let's go to verse 40. It says, then two men will be in the field. Guys, guys, don't miss this. Jesus talks about, like the days of Noah, so will be the day when the Lord returns for his people. He talks about Noah, but then look at the next thing that Jesus talks about in verse 40. He says, let me give you a better understanding how this is going to be like. Ready? He says, two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other one what, church? 41. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, church, and the other what? So look at verse 42. Watch therefore... For you do not know what hour your Lord is coming, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what, the hour, what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Verse 44, ready? Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Real, real quick. We all say yes, that the Lord is coming what? He's coming soon. We all agree with that. Amen. We shout. But the truth is, you can't mark on your calendar the time, the day. We just know that it's at any time it could happen. We know that what's going on in the Middle East and with Russia and what's happening in all these areas, it's very fragile. Things are so sensitive right now 
that at any moment it could come down, but at any moment it could erupt into a war. We know these things because Israel has been going through this stuff since its birth, man, since it became a nation. And even before that, with Abraham and the two sons. So, so when you look at this history, we know that it could just spark up at any moment. But I want you to recognize what Jesus says. It's going to be like the days of Noah. It's going to be like two that are in the field. One leaves, one stays. Two women that are working. One gets left behind. The other one goes. So therefore, watch what he says. You be ready also. Because you will not know the coming. It will happen when you do not expect it. Last week, we talked about two words constantly. And what were they? Does anyone remember that? Persuade men. The times are close, but persuade men. You want to know what my word for, this, for, for you guys are today? So who are the ones that are selected? Who are the ones that are taken? Well, let's read the scripture. It's the ones who are what? See if anyone, says, anyone catches it. You could scream it out if you find it. I hear you guys screaming, but I can't understand what you're saying. Ready? That's a good one. Anyone else want to come up with another word? Huh? Watch therefore. Good one. Can everyone go back to verse 42? Who's going? Who's going on the rapture? Verse 42. Watch. Therefore. Verse 44. Therefore, you also be ready. When the rapture comes, it's going to be only for those who are watching. Only for those who are ready. Jesus makes that very clear. Listen, God removed Noah. God removed Lot from Sodom and Gomorrah. And there's going to be a time where God is going to remove his bride from this land. And if his bride, his so-called bride, because many people say they are the church and many people say they are the bride. Listen, many people pack churches, but I'm telling you today that just because churches are packed and people are claiming things, it does not mean that they are. The people that are going to be selected, the people that will be raptured are the ones that live their lives watching and the ones that live their lives ready for the coming of the Lord. That's the one that God comes back for. And that's what he's trying to teach them. He even went to the point where he was praying in Gethsemane one day. And he was teaching them even the lesson there. He says what? Stay awake. But what does he say? He said watch and pray. His call to his believers has always been to what? Watch. You're watchmen. You, you shouldn't. Listen. If you are a believer and when the tribulation comes, really it doesn't even matter when the rapture happens. Whether you're pre, mid, or post. When those days come, it shouldn't be like, oh my gosh, I didn't think this stuff was literal. If you are a believer, when those days come, you should be expecting it. You should be ready because the believer is watching and is ready for the coming of the Lord. You want to know what I'm doing in these days? My wife is freaking out because I'm on the news. I'm studying the blood moons. I'm studying all these things of revelation because guess what? I'm like a bride that is anticipating her wedding. Have you ever seen a bride get ready for her wedding? It is sickening. I know when I married one. The preparations, the meetings, the money, the time, the stress. It was like 
from, a, from years in advance, you're, you're going, we had to bump our, our wedding from when I proposed an, uh, a year and a half because of, because of all this preparation and, and anticipating for this amazing day when you will walk down the aisle. It is the same anticipation that the church has for the coming of its Messiah. We are waiting, we are watchful, and we are ready for Jesus to break through the sky again. So what does he tell the church? He says to the church, hey, hey, you watch and you be ready. You be ready because those that will be taken up, there will be people that are watching. There will be people that are ready. So, so what, how, how do I know if I'm it? How do I know if I'm it? Well, point number one is this. The bride of Christ, if you're taking notes, write this down. And Dirk, I'm going to go to uh, Revelation 19, 7 through 8, Dirk. And I'm going to go to Ephesians 5, 27. Revelation 19, 7 through 8. Watch this. So who is this bride that is watching and ready? You guys ready? Number one, the bride of Christ. This is a one who is holy. Everyone say holy. holy. That's good. Not only holy, but they are married to him. Everyone say married. married. This is a, a bride that has no spots, no blemish, and what scripture calls no wrinkle. Let's get into scripture. I'm going to read Revelation, if you're taking notes, 19, 7 through 8, and Ephesians 5, 27. You with me? Okay. Look what Revelation says. And there's going to be a time where we're really going to jump into Revelation, and we're going to jump into tribulation stuff, and seals, and Daniel's prophecies, the 70 weeks. But relax. We're, we have a long time to, you know, it's going to be a process. But watch this. Look what, look, what the, look what the bride of Christ says. It says, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife, everyone, if you, if you write on your Bible, if you take notes, and his what? It's his bride. It's describing a, a woman there, his wife, his bride, watch this, has, yeah, you try to, you try to go against what I'm telling you. The Bible says you're, they're, the, the, these people that are going to be selected in the rapture, they're watching and they're what? They're ready. She was ready. Look what, she, look what he says. She made herself ready, verse 8, and to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright for the fine linen. Watch this. I underlined this in my notes. What is the fine linen that the bride wears? Huh? It is the righteous acts. The fine linen that the bride dresses in are the righteous acts of the saints. So I could really take a step back and examine my life, and you could take a step, seat back, sit back and examine your life. Let's go into this. Are you the bride of Christ? I really do hope so. I believe I am. I'm really hoping I am. Part of the bride of Christ is this. She makes herself ready. How does she make herself ready? She is being arrayed in what? In these fine linens. She's cleaning herself and making herself bright. And these fine linens that she's cleaning and beautifying herself with brightness are the righteous acts. Do you want to know where the righteous acts are performed out of? The Bible teaches us that the righteous acts are performed from a righteous what? From a righteous heart. This is a woman whose heart is in place with her love. And because her heart is in place with her love, her actions follow the belief in her heart. She remains faithful. There's no spot. There's no wrinkle. This is a selected woman we're talking about here. 
I really don't think that this is everyone that says they're Christian. I think this is a specific people that I'm hoping it's us that is making itself and herself ready. And the garments that you and I put on are the righteous acts of the saints. So I'm not even going to ask you to confess them or to declare them. But are your actions righteous actions that are declaring from, what's a, from what is a pure and righteous heart? If the answer is yes, then you are in good standing. Let's get ready. Let's be watchful for the coming of the Lord. Amen? In Ephesians 5.27, look what he says as I read this to you. So what's the point of this woman? Well, he goes on to Ephesus, Paul, and Paul says this about this woman that he's going to take up. That God might present her to himself a what? A glorious church. Not having spots or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without what? That's so good. That is so good. This is a, a church, this is a bride that he was going to present as glorious, with no spots, with no wrinkle, holy, without blemish. That sounds like a woman who has lived her life preparing herself for a coming of the Messiah to take her up. This sounds like a bride that was ready. I'm going to read a verse later on, and I want you to remember this verse. Every time I say that, that's important. Because the verse that I'm going to eventually end with is the best verse to end this night with. When I'm going to tell you in that verse is where he says, I shouldn't even say it yet. But he's going to tell you to stay away. Stay away from certain things. What, what do you mean by these certain things? These are certain things that cause you to have spot, that cause you to have stains and wrinkle. Sin. You see, the believer is not controlled by the sin. The believer still falls in sin, and the believer still sins daily. But sin should have no control over the believer. You, you guys are with me? I want to be very careful in the words I use, because I don't want you to ever think that I'm saying we're sinless people. But when you look at this point here, he begins to talk about this woman not that she's perfect, but she shows righteous acts and she's arrayed in beauty. She's without spot, wrinkle, blemish. And we see that the bride of Christ, she's holy, she's pure, she's married. Her heart is solely devoted to the coming of this man. And that is Jesus Christ, our Lord. You guys remember on Sunday when I preached? What did I say? I said, stop what? Stop messing around with the stupid things. I said the word stupid. I'd say, we don't have time to be stupid. I, stupid games. We don't have time to play stupid games. We don't have time to, to wrinkle ourselves. I don't have time for that. I can't play stupid games. Do I go towards them sometimes? Yeah, but I got to come back. I don't have time for those things. Why? why? Why don't you go to those places? Why don't you speak like those people? Why don't you do what those people do? How come you don't live like that? One time is not going to kill you because, because you don't know something about me. I'm waiting for my husband to pick me up and I don't want to be over there the day that he comes to my house to pick me up and I'm not found here because I was playing stupid games. I want to be in the right place at the right time with the right heart and the right actions. I want to be right before my God. That's it. And that's 
what is being described here into this bride. The, the next thing I want to read to you is a, is a, it's a fast and it's a short verse I'm going to read. It's 1 Corinthians 15, 23. It says, but each one in his own order, Christ, the first fruit. So, and it says, afterward, those who are Christ. I love that phrase. Those who are Christ at his coming. So we see that the bride of Christ is holy and married to him without spot, blemish, or wrinkle. Point number two. This group of people, this bride that he's coming for, number two, they belong totally to Jesus. They belong totally to Christ. Number three, it says this, and write this in your notes, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Once you're there, give me an amen. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Dirk, you're doing an excellent job. Thank you, brother. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. It says this. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is. He's sitting at the right hand of God. Look what he says next. Ready? He says, set your mind on things what? Remember Noah? Always look up. Set your mind on things above. Look what he says next. Not on things on the earth, for you died. And your life is hidden now with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, what? Appears. Then you also will what? Appear with him in what? So what does it tell us about this bride in Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 4? Christ is the bride's life. If you are part of the bride, then Christ is your life. What do you mean by that, Pastor Rico? What I mean by it is this. That you seek the things that are above. You seek the throne of God. You set your mind on things above, not on things on this earth. You've already died. Your life is hidden in Christ. What do I mean by all this? That if you are the bride, Christ is your life. Christ is your life. That's who he's coming back for. Let's keep going. Um, Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. Give me an amen when you get there. And as you're getting there, I'm going to go over what we've gone through already. The bride is holy, married to him. Number two, they belong totally to him. Number three, Christ is their life. But watch what number four says in Revelation twenty-two seventeen. 17. We read this last week. Revelation twenty-two seventeen. Are we there? And the spirit and the what? And the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts come. And whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. I love this point because my first, fourth point is this. They're one with the Spirit. If you are the bride of Christ, you're one with the Spirit of God. The Bible says in Revelation twenty-two seventeen that the Spirit and the bride say what? Come. The Spirit and the bride cry out, come. Not only is Christ my life, not only do I totally belong to him, not only am I holy and married, pure spot without blemish, but my fourth point is I'm one with the Spirit of God. Is that biblical? What does Jesus say? That they will become what? One with me as you and I are one. How many of you could say amen? amen. Point number five, if you're taking notes, First Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, 
verses 12 and 13. And then from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, I'm going to read real quick. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. So 1 Thessalonians 3, 12 through 13. Anyone have that? All right. Anyone want to read it out loud where they're sitting? Loud. I take that as a no? And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts, what? In holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. 523. Now may the God of peace himself, what does it say? Sanctify you what? I love that. Oh, I'm being sanctified. No, no, you are sanctified. You're sanctified. Stop justifying. Oh, I'm being sanctified. No, you're, put this in your brain. You're sanctified in Christ. You're sanctified. May the peace of himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be what? preserved blameless at what he's coming my next point is this ready the bride these are people that are sanctified through and through they're sanctified their whole spirit their soul their body what do i mean it also says here they're kept blameless they're kept blameless until the coming of the what as we're going over these verses i want you to do this ready examine your heart are you this woman? Are you this girl? Are you this bride? Are you sanctified and blameless? The last point uh, for the bride that I'm going to give you today, it's Colossians 1.28. Colossians 1.28. And I kept this one last on purpose. Colossians 1.28. Paul speaks here as he writes his letter. And look what Paul says. He says, Jesus, him we preach. Remember what I said um, last week? Persuade men, persuade men, persuade men, persuade men. Look what Paul says. Him we preach. Warning what? Warning every man and teaching every man. There's not, oh, but my uncle, it's just that you don't know how he is. Listen, he is part of what? Every man in all wisdom that we may present Every man, I love this word, perfect in Christ Jesus. And we think, oh my God, we'll never be able to be perfect. But you did not study the Greek in that word. You know what that word perfect means? It means mature. To be made mature, to be brought to its end, to be finished. It doesn't mean that you are perfect. But when he says this, that you may present men perfect, it means that they are matured in Christ Jesus. They're firm in their faith. They're firm in their belief. And he says, him we preach, we warn, and we teach every man. Why? Because one day we want to present these people to the Lord and say, we've matured them before your presence. Guys, why would Paul, Paul um, not why would Paul, but you see here that Paul is warning believers. And he's warning believers of the coming rapture. And it's very, very important 
There's a scripture that Jesus says. He says, enter to the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only few find it. Look what he says next. I'm reading from Matthew chapter 7. I'm in verse 21. He says this. Just listen to my words. Matthew 7. You can read the whole chapter. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he, only he who does the what? The will of my Father who is in heaven. And many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, in your name drive out demons, perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I don't believe that everyone gets taken up. I believe it's a people that are watching and are ready. Amen? I know that one of my next points that I want to discuss with you guys is that when the rapture comes, 1 Corinthians 15 does an amazing job in teaching us what will happen. When the rapture comes, our physical bodies are caught up and will be changed forever. Have you guys ever read 1 Corinthians chapter 15? It's always read in funerals. It's a funeral favorite. But in 1 Corinthians 15, if you want to turn there, so what's going to happen to me? Yesterday, remember my friend that went over to my house yesterday? My wife asked the question that every mother's going to ask. But will I know my husband, right? <laughs> will I know my son or daughter in heaven? I said, I don't know. I don't think you're going to care about that, really. You know what we did yesterday, 11 o'clock at night? I opened up to Ezekiel chapter 1. And I said, you tell me if you're going to think about Jackson when you read this. And I began to talk about the angels with eyeballs inside and outside with one wheel and the other wheel with inside of them, four heads, um, four faces, you know. One a face of a human being, the other one is of an eagle, the other one. And she was like, oh, my God. And I started to describe all these thunderings and light. And I, and I started to go over this amazing word in Ezekiel of the throne room of God. And then I, just, I, said, I said, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to even. I can't even picture that. Read Ezekiel 1 when you get a chance, but it's powerful. Not now, but later. But we know that the physical bodies are caught up. In 1 Corinthians 15, it talks about the perishable body. Perishable body. How many of you pinch yourself right now? Pitch yourself hard. Did you feel it? The answer is what? Okay, your imperishable body in 1 Corinthians 15. If you want to read verses 40 all the way to the end of the chapter. We don't have time today, but read it on your own. I'm going to give you one, two, three, four, five things that happen to the believer that is caught up to be with Jesus. Ready? The perishable body becomes imperishable. Meaning what? You will never perish. You will never hurt. The Bible says in Revelation where no more tears will be found in your eyes. There will be no more pain, no more suffering. You become imperishable. Amen. Another thing that 1 Corinthians 15 in verse 53 teaches us, that the mortal body becomes immortal. How cool is that? You will never be in, in risk of danger of dying. You will be immortal for, forever living in the presence of God forever. Your mortal body, that if you stand in the middle of I-75 right now and you get hit by a car, chances are that you're probably not going to live. But when you go and you're caught up to be with Jesus in eternity, you will never be in the line of danger again. You will be secured, protected, glorified, and your mortal body will be immortal. Amen. 
In 1 Corinthians 15, 43, it says this vile and this dishonorable body will become glorious. I had, a, I had a, such an eerie feeling with my grandmother the other day. My mom calls me in the supermarket, and she says, Rigo, when you get home, I need you to do me a favor. And I say, what is it, mom? She says, tola abuela. And my grandmother's at that age where she's getting old. It breaks my heart. Because she says to tell my grandmother, one of her good friends passed away. And my grandmother's in Miami, and my, her best, one of her good friends is in Key West. So I told my grandmother. I shared this with, with Nancy when I got home. And I said, abuela, I, I'm, I need to tell you something. And I told her about her friend that passed, and my grandmother starts to weep and cry because it hit me and I had to control myself what was going on with my grandmother my grandmother's noticing that all her good friends are passing away even her husband my grandfather and that hit me right then and there because I started to think about what I'm going to be teaching today and I think about my grandmother's body we have a step just for her to sit down in our car because we can't pick her up and She's scared she's going to fall. She has a, a cane now that she walks with. That's a weak, frail, dishonorable. Her body, she doesn't even have control of it anymore. It does whatever it wants, trust me. But do you understand that when a believer passes, even at that state, when they go to be with Christ, that body will be no more. And 1 Corinthians 15 teaches us that that weak body now becomes a powerful body. First Corinthians 15.44 says that the natural body now becomes a spiritual body. I don't know how to explain that to you. My grandmother's a believer. And we're believers. And as we age and as we frail up, when our body goes to be with him, some of us might be sick now. Some of us struggle with things now. But I want you to recognize this, that when Christ catches us up, we now become imperishable, immortal, Glorious, powerful, and spiritual. That's a good amen. God, thank you for making me that. The next thing, so we know that the physical bodies were changed, were glorified. The next thing is that the saints who are raptured, they're going to stand before God as well one day. But do you want to know what the saints, when they stand before the judgment seat of God, when the rapture happens... Do you want to know what you're going to get judged for? Everyone says, for all the works that they've done, right? But you want to know what those works are that God is going to judge you for and give you rewards? Because as a believer, we're free from judgment. We're free from judgment as a believer. Because what is he going to do? He's going to judge us to hell? So when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, as a believer, what is it that he's going to judge? Because we're not going to go to hell as believers, as saved, redeemed people. We don't notice this. But when the believer who is taken up and sees God in the judgment seat of Christ, they're going to be judged for all the actions that they failed to do, not that they necessarily did do. And as believers, we have things that we are called to do that we have not yet what? Accomplished. And those things God's going to look at and say, I gave you a family. I gave you a spouse. I gave you children. I gave you coworkers. I gave you a church people. I gave you people around you. What did you do with them? Did you tell them of my coming? Did you tell them of my great saving? And as a believer, we're going to answer and, and come before the judgment seat of Christ. And we're going to receive rewards. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 
And I have it here written out on my iPad because it, and then Hebrews, which is a long one. But listen to these words if you can with me. Listen to these words. He says, let a man examine himself. Let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself. Not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves... We would not be judged, but when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, and we may not be condemned with the world. So what is he saying in 1 Corinthians 11? He's talking about now while we are on earth, the believer needs to begin to do what to themselves? Judge themselves in preparation for the coming of the Lord. It's so important. Look, look at the next, look at Hebrews 12. I'm going to read verses uh, 5 through 11. Just, just follow with me and hear me. The author of Hebrews says this, And you have forgotten, my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as his sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? If you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are Ill illegitimate, that word if you look it up, bastard, and you're not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, for our profit, he chastises us, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. When you read that, it only shows me one thing. That judgment, that looking within, it starts now in the house of God. The chastisement starts now in the house of God. Why? Because we are partakers, Hebrews tells us, of the holiness of God, which one day we will attain. Another scripture says this. For the time has come for judgment, and it must begin with God's household. That's actually 1 Peter 4, 17. The time of judgment. Have you ever heard someone say, well, I'm tired of that church because all they do is judge me. How many of you have heard that? Okay, it all depends what kind of judging. But 1 Peter 1, 4, 17 says, the time has come for judgment, and it begins in the household of God. What do you mean? That we got to start calling things in the church that are not of God, not of God, and stop milking things, stop watering things, stop sugarcoating things, and live for the holiness of God once and for all. The judgment starts now. That if my brother is stumbling because of sin, we confront him because of that sin. We don't judge them. But we judge them by confronting them of the sin that they're currently in. And we do that with love, with patience, with endurance. Where does this start? Where does judgment start? For the believer, it doesn't start when we stand before God. 1 Peter 4, 17 and 18 says it begins now in the house of God. Well, 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 why new life? Why, Regal? Why do you, why do you want to do that now? Because we're waiting for the Messiah. Tell me if you see a, something in me. Don't hide it from me. I need to get that right. And don't get offended when I tell you I see something in you. Because you got to get that right. And if I love you and if you love me, we're going to help each other to fix those edges that need to be fixed. Well, why? Because Christ is coming and we will stand before our Father. 
So where does judgment start? Where does preparation start? The rapture's coming. Peter says, in the house of God. And if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news? If the righteous are barely saved, what will happen to godless sinners? It starts now. Can you imagine sugarcoating something so beautiful that someone misses eternity because you just wanted to entertain them? No, you tell them now how it is. There's no time to mess around church. We're going to stand before God, and he's going to ask you, what would you do with what I gave? No, 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 I don't want to know what you've done. What would you do with what I gave you before you? Why did I start this series, the end? Because I don't want to stand before God. And God say, how come you never warned new life? The church that goes, the people that go to your church every day, how come you never warned them about the tribulation? How come you never warned them about my coming? I want to be clear from that. And say, Lord, I, I tried. I told them. Guys, this is so important. So important. He's going to come, he says, here with rewards. I don't have time, but, but look at some of the rewards. He's going to give us, watch this. I'm not going to read the verses, but in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, it talks about a crown of righteousness. How many of you could say amen? The raptured church in 1 Peter 5, 2 through 4, it's going to, we're going to have a crown of glory. How many of you could say amen? In 1 Thessalonians, it teaches, teaches us in chapter 2, 19 and 20, that we're going to have a crown of rejoicing. In Revelation 2, 10, we're going to have the crown of life. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 25, we're going to have an incorruptible crown that lasts forever. So watch this. I'll read them to you one more time. 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. Crown of righteousness. I could, I'm cool with that. When I go to be with God in 1 Peter 5, 2, 3 and 4, he's going to give me a crown of glory. Wow, I don't deserve that. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 through 20, crown of rejoicing. That's why he says, and I saw them sitting, and they wore many crowns. John says, many crowns. Why would they wear many crowns? Because they have a crown of rejoicing, a crown of glory, a crown of righteousness. Revelations 2.10, you have a crown of life. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 25, an incorruptible crown, the one that will last forever. But then we read also in Scripture that all those crowns, we will put them all back where? <laughs> At the feet of Jesus. I'm going to end because I'm going to give you a few minutes. Um, if you have to go, you have to go, but it, to discuss some things. This is what I wanted to end with. Everyone turn to Luke. Turn to Luke. So the Lord's coming. The times are before us. He speaks to us. And he says this, if you look at Luke 21, in verse 8, he says, Take heed that none be deceived. Many will come in my name and they will say, I am he. The time has drawn near, therefore do not go after them. But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified. For these things must come to pass, but the end will not come immediately. 10. 
And then he said, nation will rise up against nation, kingdoms against kingdom. It's happening in Ukraine and Russia and Israel and Palestine. And the United States is just sitting quiet because we're trillions, trillions of dollars in debt and we can't afford another war. And we still have soldiers in Afghanistan. And, and what's going to happen with, you know what everyone's doing right now all over the world? What's going to happen with the United States? <laughs> the United States is doing what? Uh, we agree with Israel's actions. Yeah, but what are you going to do? Because you're Israel's ally. It's going to be fun. There will be great earthquakes, various places, famines, pestilence. It's hard to see this in America, but the majority of the world goes through this, and we know that. Fearful sights, great signs from heaven. They're talking about these blood moons. Everyone's freaking out about them because they continue to land on Jewish holidays. There's only been eight sets of blood moons. And everyone goes out, oh, look at these moons, the new moon. And everyone's taking pictures of it. And they wake up at 3 in the morning. And, oh, and they put it up on Instagram. My Instagram feed was filled. But study them. They all land on Jewish holidays. They speak to Israel. Every single one. Every single one has brought something. One brought Israel, became a nation. The other blood moon that happened in the 60s um, is with the Six-Day War. The other one is when Spain kicked them out and Columbus found America. And he brought a whole bunch of Jews to live here. I mean, just look at all the blood moons. They've always been a calendar, a banner for the Jewish people. And here we are. I don't know if you guys have caught this. The next one in the set of four, Tetrat, is due in April. Then there's another one uh, due in October. Then there's one in April. And then the last one of the four blood moons is September 8th. What's going to happen by September 8th? We don't know. But every other blood moon, something has happened. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to get you excited. Because we're living in interesting times. And I love how in Luke he says, there's going to be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. What other signs do you want that every time a set of blood moons happens, something happens with Israel? It always involves them. How funny it is that the first blood moon hit, the next one's going to hit in October, and Israel just struck and is fighting against Gaza. So what's going to happen in between here till September 8, 2015? Study every single blood moon. It's been the first one that just happened. The last time it happened was 500 years ago. Study them. They always land on these Jewish holidays. I think we're living in interesting times. <laughs> it's awesome. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you, persecute you, deliver you up to the synagogues and prisons. You'll be brought before kings, rulers, for my name's sake. It will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Therefore, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives, friends, and they will put some of you to death. Man, I've been to these conferences that the, these people all over the world, they turn from Muslim, Islam to Christianity and they get kicked out. I've heard stories of daughters being tied to a tree and you'll be ashamed of what the father and their uncles do to them because they're no longer part of the family because they turned over to Christianity. Jesus is talking about this stuff. Jesus is talking about this stuff. And then he goes on, and you'll be hated for my name's sake, but not a hair on your head will be lost. And then he goes on, and look at verse 34, and this is what I'm going to end with. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down. Look at this. With carousing and drunkenness and cares of this life, the day will come on you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Verse 36, church, 
What does it say? Watch. Watch. It's the same thing he told the disciples when he went to the garden. Watch, therefore, and what? Pray. Always. So that you may be counted worthy of the escape. So you could escape all this stuff. So you could escape the lake of fire. So you could escape all these things that are to come. Watch. Be praying. So all I could leave the church with is we need to be watching. We need to be ready. We need to be praying. As we start looking at the tribulation next week, there's so many details. There's things about the 70 weeks of Daniel that we're going to cover. So many things like seals that were broken in Revelation. And we will go back and discuss rapture stuff as we get into the tribulation as well. So as we introduce to you the rapture today, this won't be the last time that you hear it as you come on a Wednesday. Because now is when we start to open up the book of what will happen within these years. All I'm hoping for is whether you stand as pre, mid, post, your faith should be maturing and growing. Why? So when that day comes, you're ready and prepared. Don't lack faith. Don't be deceived. Don't be carousing and drunkenness and all these different things. Don't be carried away. But stay watching. Stay watching. Stay praying. So that the Lord could snatch us away. Many are carousing themselves. Many are giving themselves to evil. Even while declaring to be Christians. But not us. We watch. We are ready. We're praying. We're crying, come. We're ready for the rapture. If you're the beautiful bride of Christ, amen. Um, if you have to go, amen, we love you. We'll be back here Sunday, 10 o'clock, and we'll be back here on Wednesday, 7.30. But at this time, I'll give you a few minutes. Does anyone have a question or something about the rapture that maybe you just want to ask or talk about, discuss? Sorry, a little louder.